Hello, one and all, it's the Tycoon here, and you're joining me for Tea with the Tycoon podcast. I'm looking at all things business related, and the aim of this podcast series is to shine a light on niche areas of business that would normally be left for specialist research. So grab a cup of tea, and let's get ready to listen to our guests talk about their specialist area. Hello everyone, welcome back to Vision Games Podcast. Uh, my name is Hadi Nakwi, I'm from the Market Communications Department and I'm joined today by another of our key pharma industrial analysts and editor of an upcoming Vision Game report which is in the translational regenerative medicine market. The name is Ramla Salad? Salad? Ramla Salad, yeah. Ramla Salad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ramla here is joining us today to discuss her upcoming report and as always, Vision Game itself was established in 1998. Vision Game being one of the fastest growing business intelligence providers, helping to keep you informed of key changes taking place in your industry. Based in London, UK, Vision Game publishes independent and insightful market reports produced by expert, experienced analysts, many of whom have been educated masters and PhD levels and are experts in their field. Vision Game also provides a bespoke report service, providing exclusive custom-made, uh, tailor-made research specifically for your individual needs. So, Ramla, what I'd like to do is just find out a little bit about yourself before we discuss the report. So, tell me, tell me and the, the listeners all about you. Hi, so my name is Ramla, as Hadi introduced. Um, um, I've been in academia for the past four years. I've initially started with a bachelor's degree in pharmaceutical chemistry. And um, through that degree, I kind of gathered this really deep interest in pharmaceuticals and drug development in general. And so I applied to do a postgraduate master's at UCL um, in drug development and pharma management. Um, and then that completed really recently in last September. And following that, I was pursuing like a job um, and I got um, the job at Vision Gain in November last year. And ever since then, I've been working on reports and really getting myself into um, forecasting and stuff like that. And this report, um, I've been working on it for the past four to five weeks, and I'm really looking forward to it getting published and everyone learning about what's going on in translational regenerative medicines. Well, I think uh, it's, it's a fascinating topic as well because it deals with so many different areas. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and for me, definitely, I need to find out a little bit more about it. So, why is the translational regenerative medicine market so important? What impact has the technology had on us on the translational uh, regenerative medicine market? Um, so, um, as I mentioned before, this report is focusing on translational regenerative medicines and the market, with the forecast period being between 2020 and 2030. Um, so, this market um, consists of stem cell, um, stem cell therapies, tissue engineered therapies and gene therapies. Um, technology, as many of you may know, is a rising force in many industries, um, especially within the pharmaceutical industry, which is why many companies have formed um, partnerships with tech giants such as Google and Apple. Um, a major driver is, is the entry of currently in development products um, um, into the market including mass-produced blood products um, which are coming towards the end of the forecast period of this report. Currently um, there is less regulatory uncertainty due to the market being better established 
Um, this is linked to the technological advances in additive manufacturing, um, thus enabling the production of more complex tissue engineered products, um, which is kind of an issue in um, um, TRM therapies, um, making scaling up a little bit easier. Um, there's also currently a rise in 3D bioprinting, um, specifically in tissue, engineer, in, in tissue engineering, um, sh which shows incredible potential for surgical interventions um, and also for toxicology testing in drug discovery. Um, but there are problems with translating tissue engineered therapies into clinical use, so that's more like a future prospect. Yeah. Um, um, I feel like over the next decade, there'll be more and more gene therapies reaching the market, um, which would in turn increase the sales of existing therapies. Um, but a major factor to consider is the changes to regulation and reimbursement of gene therapies in the Western markets. Um, so that's kind of um, a mixture of things, but I feel like the most significant thing is um, the introduction of the revolutionary CRISPR technology in gene editing um, and I feel like I feel like in turn that's going to kind of drive down the costs of early development which is kind of like a reason why a lot of companies do not pursue gene therapies because of mm. all the infrastructure and the money that goes into developing a certain like um, software yeah. or things like that yeah so I feel like um, CRISPR is kind of like the start of something brilliant yeah so is it CRISPR software? Or? It's a gene editing technique Oh. Um, yeah, um, but it's really expensive. Um, there are a number of reports that have been um, put out there, like one of the Deloitte reports are out there on um, the rise of wearables and tech in pharma. So that's a really interesting one to read if you want to learn more about CRISPR okay. and its impact in business. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, stem cell research, uh, gene therapies, for anyone that I'm pretty sure quite a few of our listeners are video game fans yeah. or sci-fi fans. Yeah. This is something that is, was originally in the realms of science fiction is now becoming more and more reality based. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, in, in recent times, we've seen you know, there was a, a, a real opposition towards stem cells. Yeah. Uh, especially in the USA, yeah. I think back in George Bush's junior, George W. Bush's uh, administration, he yeah. worked dead against it. But now we've seen that the, the regulations seem to have loosened up a little bit more. Uh, recently, Joe Rogan on his podcast uh, with Steve Tyler was talking about having stem cell injections into his shoulder, which has helped to re rejuvenate yeah. shoulder injuries. Yeah, um, also I feel like there's the, the issue in stem cell research, especially in the US, is because a lot of people have started to use stem cells as more of a, cos a cosmetic yeah. kind of thing, um, <clears throat> where this clinic, the US stem cells, um, I think they're called US stem cells, INC, um, had to have um, been um, started to become regulated or um, yeah regulated by the FDA because there were news that they were using um, unapproved stem cell therapies for cosmetic purposes. Wow. Yeah, so things like that. Um, I feel like regulators out of the regulators' hands, but that's probably why people would feel like they the sci-fi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which which is. That's the, the next part because it, it goes very well into yeah into the regulation yeah, yeah. And, and that's the you know for, for anyone who's in any kind of environment like this you do need to have some kind of regulatory body governing it so how much progress do you has regulation in this field uh, how how much progress has actually happened 
in terms of the regulation within this particular field over the last few years. Yeah, so uh, as we were talking about cosmetic, let's kind of move the scope back to um, the, the medicines. Heal, yeah. yeah. So um, the FDA um, has actually taken great strides to increase the scope of TRM approvals. Um, this is um, extremely emphasised by the introduction of the regenerative medicine advanced therapy designation. That's such a mouthful. Um, so it's <laughs> yeah, you can say that again. Yeah, so it's abbreviated to RMAT. Um, this signalled a commitment from Congress and the FDA to bring safe and effective regenerative medicines to patients as quickly as possible. Um, and through this RMAT designation, the FDA can initiate early dialogue um, with sponsors to ensure high standards of efficacy and safety because efficacy is kind of like a very key parameter um, for a lot of regulators, mm. um, especially the EMA, yeah. um, and especially for treatments where um, it's life-changing. So efficacy is obviously a very important parameter to monitor. Um, moreover, um, this RMAT designation highly incentivizes the development of TRM and advanced uh, medicines because it gives sponsors the chance to obtain grants and discounts on applications, um, which is great for them. Um, to date, around 45 products have been granted RMAT designations and we expect that the first wave of those therapies will be receiving approval very soon. Um, moving on from the FDA, so the EMA is another regulatory body but they're focused in Europe, so the, Europe Medicine, the European Medicines Agency. Um, they introduced a range of non-standard pathways. For example, the EMA has introduced a compassionate use programme which allows access to new drugs and biological products including stem cell products outside of pre-market clinical trials um, and also more recently the EMA has introduced a conditional market approval um, scheme which can be used for stem cell interventions. Um, this means a stem cell product can, can be licensed at a later stage of a phase 3 trial um, when data collection for efficacy and safety has almost been completed. Um, I'm, I'm also going to talk about the Japanese regulatory authority because the FDA, EMA and the PMDA are kind of like the three leading yeah. regulatory bodies in the pharmaceutical industry and biopharmaceutical industry. Um, so the Japanese regulatory authority has a new scheme for regenerative medical products. Um, the new reform um, allows re regenerative medicine governance to be held under, under specific category um, with several approved products utilizing this pathway, for example, TEMCELL, so that's T-E-M-C-E-L-L, -L, um, developed by JCR Pharmaceuticals. Um, likewise, regenerative medical products approved by the PMDA via expedited approval are guaranteed coverage by the Japanese Social Health Insurance and that's amazing because um, obviously these gene therapies are fantastic or these TRM therapies are fantastic but they have a very hefty price tag on mm. them and a lot of the time it's very difficult for governments to um, kind of reimburse um, or fit it into their health budgets, healthcare budgets yeah. and it's causing a strain on some governments, especially in the EU. Um, and well, I want to actually talk about that in a couple of moments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so by um, simplifying and streamlining the regulatory processes from laboratory to, to the patient by stratification, um, the characterization of regenerative treatments based on their safety profiles will become a lot more easier. Um, all these regulations for market approval of TRM products um, although they are fantastic, they tend to favour the commercial interests of large co larger companies um, above those of academic researchers because larger companies have both the financial means and the administrative um, resources to implement large-scale trials, while smaller biotech companies typically struggle to fund such trials, which is why they should join hands. Um, and that's a fantastic way, I guess, um, to lead us on to... Um, 
but before we even go into that, because this brings up another area. Yeah, sorry. Which is, no, I don't think you need to apologise, because basically we've talked about the EMA, yeah. which runs Europe. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, at the time of this podcast, uh, Brexit is, is taking place. Yeah, it's leaving, uh, yeah. Uh, we're due to leave, apparently, on the 31st of December 2020. Yeah. Uh, with the transition period starting on the 31st of January uh, 2020. So, from, from this sort of perspective, as we're talking about regulation, is stem cell research now going to come underneath the, the uh, EMA? You know, will that still be a part of, of their, their uh, oversight? Would it be a different federation altogether, which will be UK-based and only for the UK? Um, so, initially, um, the EMA actually had their office in Canary Wharf, but um, because of Brexit, they moved their headquarters to Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, I don't think that will change the way things are run, because we do have our own overseen um, governing body, which is the MHRA, okay. um, yeah. the Medicines Healthcare yeah, I remember. Um, agency, yeah. Um, yeah. And they're based in Canary also, so they kind of work with the EMA to um, get therapies out to patients um, into the NHS as quickly as possible. Mm. But I do feel like the, there are going to be um, new guidelines, and I, I, I do believe that they have posted a lot of their like, revisions and guidelines on their website for mm. companies um, submitting applications post-Brexit or during... Yeah. Brexit, yeah. So um, it's really an ongoing process, but I don't feel like um, there's a need for a whole new regulatory body to exist within the UK. Um, I think it's best if they work in collaboration with the EMA because of the EMA having such a um, a vast amount of data and information and um, the fact that um, if the partnership between the MHRA and the EMA stay, stays intact, um, it will be easier for companies based in the UK because there are a lot of um, bio um, or pharmaceutical companies based in Cambridge as a yeah. huge hub. Um, and so it would um, initiate more collaboration between European-based companies mm. and companies based in the UK um, if that partnership stays intact between the EMA and the MHRA. Well, even Pfizer as, as one of the leading companies yeah. in this sort of field is not too far away outside of London. Yeah, Tadworth, right? exactly. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, for them to up and relocate, it would be a massive yeah, expenditure. Expenditure, yeah, and but, disadvantage. Yeah, and, and again, you know, I think the, the, the government will be looking at regulations and seeing which, uh, you know, we're seeing it in the financial services industry at the moment because a lot of the rules that are within the financial services industry a lot of them have come from Europe. Yeah, exactly. So not to say that the UK can't handle it, but you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of changes take place yeah. in a very short period of time. So I just wanted to... to oh, yeah, that that's, yeah that's, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, and, and now that we're talking... The funny thing is, we also led on to the next part, which is collaborations yeah. and key partnerships. So what are the key... What are some of the key partnerships and collaborations within this field? Um, so... Um, there has been um, an increase in the number of investments larger biopharmaceutical companies have made. Um, almost every major biopharma company has made investments generally through partnerships with either an early stage um, pre-IPO company, a publicly listed advanced company or an academic institute. Um, there are many gene therapy deals that cover multiple therapeutic areas with, with, a, with a keen dominance in orphan diseases and, and orphan diseases are kind of on the rise now. Um, 
a lot of companies are acquiring or merging with smaller companies focused around orphan diseases. What is an orphan disease? So an orphan disease um, is a disease that's, um, there are different definitions. So in the US, it's a disease that, is, that affects less, um, less than one in 10,000. Okay, right. So it's not like, again, when you, when you hear the word orphan disease, you're yeah. thinking, is it particular to orphans? No, it's just that it's the rarity of the disease. So gotcha. The, the, it's so rare that it affects such a small patient population, which is obviously a, a big reason why a lot of pharmaceutical companies don't pursue it because it's very hard to get patients and recruit them to clinical trials. Yeah. Um, but um, there's been a recent uproar in that market and a lot of companies have, large companies have pursued smaller companies, mm. for example, Tequila and Shia or... Um, yeah, um, Pfizer and Sparks Therapeutics. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Um, so um, that's going to be on the rise, I assume, um, in the next coming um, decade. Um, uh, and just to, to for our listeners, I may have mentioned Pfizer a couple of times. They are not sponsoring this podcast, so I just want to make that clear. Um, so, sorry. Um, yeah. Um, so so Pfizer and Spark Therapeutics announced a collaboration in 2014 um, to develop a treatment for haemophilia B, um, which has shown highly promising clinical trial data. Um, companies te- that focus on diseases with identified targets and known mechanisms of action, combined with readily available data, um, are highly sought after because they already have um, a lot of the work done. They've ticked a lot of the boxes and they just need the help of a larger company that has more of an infrastructure to help them with the clinical trials. Um, um, further to this, a robust manufacturing plant or strategy is another plus in terms of a deal as TRM therapies um, tend to have complex manufacturing processes and that tends to be the downside um, for pursuing these um, types of medicines because you have to be very careful with how you're manufacturing them and maybe like if you have like a batch to batch variation, it's kind of detrimental because you've spent a lot of money yeah. producing such an expensive um, medicine and if one batch is so different to another a lot of money has gone down the drain and you probably won't meet those milestones that you've put in place yeah um um so substantial amounts of money have been invested in cell and gene therapy development this investment has in turn has in turn enabled growth in the number of clinical trials initiated which should um lead to newly approved therapies um additionally investment in the trm field has resulted in the formation of companies just solely focusing on delivering the next generation therapeutics so you see a lot of companies that are just something therapeutic so um spark therapeutics for example um i'm trying to think off the top of my head but there are a lot of companies like mesoblast small companies that are just focusing on a small set yeah um yeah the yeah. is again doing the very highly specialized clinical trials at the moment yeah um but i feel like with a lot of the time with companies like novartis and pfizer and all these top 20 farm companies um a lot of the ip that they obtain from smaller companies allows them to to pursue a certain yeah. indication because um, the smaller, um, smaller size company initiated that that um, yeah, sorry, that research. Raw, yeah, it will be the raw data yeah, that they hold so, and the expertise behind it exactly. based upon one element which was originally to to massive market out. Yeah, and as always, you know, it, it's farmer, it's big farmer, but again, it's part of business. Uh, yeah, so once they become a wholly owned subsidiary, they they just take that and yeah. go with it but i feel like it's it's a win-win on both sides of course because, of course you because, get the resources from the big farmer yeah. and and you don't have the expertise and the yeah. care which comes from the small subsidiaries exactly which, that's is, fantastic, which is fantastic yeah. for the field um 
Yeah, so that's fantastic. Um, and I, I would say in the coming years, we'll see a lot more partnerships and collaborations in this field, especially with gene therapies, mm. I would say, um, because they're so in demand. And with um, Unicure's Glybera, one of the most, expen most expensive gene therapies taken off the market because of its lack of um, usage, like it was just way too expensive. Yeah. We we're probably, because of that hole in the market, there's probably going to be a new blockbuster or a new gene therapy to replace that. And that could potentially be um, brought about um, because of a partnership or a collaboration with a smaller company. So well, we're, we're definitely looking forward to that kind of time because let's face it, as an industry, what do you feel now needs to be done to accelerate the development of TRM therapies into clinical benefits or applications? Um, so there are numerous things that need to be initiated um, to ensure the approval of more TRM medicines. But um, as I said previously, most of these changes stem from regulatory decisions that need to be made. Um, regulators um, need to begin driving the implementation of new payment models and value-based reimbursement because of the hefty price tags that come along with these TRM therapies, um, the lack of reimbursement. Um, in the US, there needs to be a way of removing mitigating barriers um, to value-based payments um, in the US Medicare and Medicaid mm -hmm. um, to ensure access to all and to address the unmet need in the field. There also is a need um, to collaborate more within the field of the translational regenerative medicines um, and this can only be done um, or achieved through open dialogue streams across countries and regulators. Um, the TRM market is expected to grow significantly in the coming decade with the market set to grow to around 76 billion by 2023. Um, um, there are several clinical trials in late stage development for gene therapies with promising phase three readouts uh, meeting primary endpoints. Um, a key example is Biomarin's haemophilia gene therapy looking to be first in class. Um, recently, um, very recently in fact, at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, um, Biomarin's chairman and CEO um, said because um, we want to, to be able to supply the gene therapy market as quickly as possible, um, we need a first mover advantage in the gene therapy and it's fundamental in the sense that every time you treat a patient, that patient is off the market. Um, and that's very key because haemophilia A, is, um, there's currently a race to get to the, to the market first between Biomarin, Spark Therapeutics and Bluebird Bio because they're all developing therapies for haemophilia A. Um, with each of them looking to gain that first move advantage. Um, the FDA um, expects an approval rate of 10 to 20 cell in gene therapies every year by 2025, which is very significant for the TRM field. Um, I also believe that advances in tech have brought the regenerative medicine market to a point where um, commercialization of basic research is now possible and now large and now large pharma um, do not see this field as a taboo and are willing to embrace a fast-paced development and innovation in that field um, and more of them will start to enter the space and drive forward the development of innovative um, therapies um, in the coming year so I'm really looking forward to seeing more and more companies pursuing um, the TRM field and meeting the unmet need and just producing a lot more cures, I would say. Well, that's the other part that I want to touch on because yeah. this, this is very helpful for the future. We've already seen with stem cell research and, and stem cell treatments yeah. and the field of diabetes type 1, which is where the insulin needs to be injected into yeah. the pancreas area. The pancreas has regenerated itself. It's actually healed itself and it started to generate insulin yeah, markers on the back. Yeah. Um, we're also looking at cancer cell uh, treatments 
and, yeah, and possibly eradicating film. cancer. Yeah. Uh, because again, it's gene therapy. You are now attacking the actual cell itself. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, if there's good, proper regulations set in place, and again, with all these companies coming together, I'm hoping for the next decade there will be either massive improvements to the treatment of things like cancer, heart, or, or diabetes, or eradication. I, you know, I may be quite quite positive and awful, but what do you feel? No, that's, that's fair. It's fair to say because um, um, the gene therapy market or the RTRM market in general is expected to grow significantly in the coming years. I feel like, um, especially due to the fact that big data and tech mm. is on the rise and once those those two factors um, join hands with the TRM um, market or the development of TRM therapies, it's going to be like a an unstoppable force. I would say because oh, yeah. I agree because because a lot of um, the underlying um, um, problems around um, gene therapy success or reaching the market is quite small, mm. and once um, they manage to fix those problems um, with um, with the monitoring of um, their larger data sets, I feel like it would become a lot more easier. And so I feel like it's fair to say that in the coming or in the coming decade, we'll see a large shift in terms of the number of gene therapies being approved by regulators. And we'd probably be seeing a lot more success stories online, um, especially um, patients suffering from like dystrophies, which are like uh, genetic um, yeah. disorders that you're born with and you, ha you don't really have a choice. So in the paediatric patient group, um, I'm hoping to see a lot more well, not me, but I'm just generally for everyone. Yeah, we all we're all ex we're all hoping to see a lot more success stories, um, and um, patient advocacy groups trying to um, not trying to, but companies trying to work more closely with patient mm. groups, um, because the patient is at the centre of everything that you do yeah. at the end of the day. So yeah. Well, um, exciting times, and again, Ramla, you've been it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I know you're extremely busy as well, and want to get this report out, and again. Uh, for all our listeners out there, the report's name is The Translational Regenerative Medicine Market for 2020-2030. It is on the Vision Game website, which is www.visiongame.com. If you go into the industry's heading and check into the pharma section, you will be able to find that report and it's ready and it's available very soon. Um, from me, I've been Hadi Nafi. This has been Rana Salad. Yeah, thank you so much, Hadi, for having me on. No um, problems. And one, again, as always, we'll see you on the next podcast. But do remember, gain clarity, get vision gain. Thanks. Thank bye. You. Thank you. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that. Feel free to leave any feedback. And if you'd like to be part of this podcast series, please drop me a message across any of the social media channels on at the tycoon2. That's at T-H-E-T-Y-C-O-O-N-2. Also, to help support the podcast, please feel free to sponsor the series, either on Anchor or Patreon. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I look forward to you joining me on the next podcast. And if you guys don't know how to do that, then you all need to go back to school. So says the tycoon.